Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Lord willing, we get through this message, we'll finish chapter 1. All right, so some of you have been gone for a while. You haven't missed that much, right? We're still uh, we're glad to have some of our traveling folks back, and uh, I know that we'll have a number of folks uh, coming back here in the next couple of weeks or so. Uh, some more. Uh, they're waiting for us, us to get rid of the snow, so if you'll just do a little better job of blowing hard or whatever, I'll do my best to give you a hot message tonight or this morning, and maybe the, some of that me- snow will melt too. But uh, anyway, we're going to look at this morning, uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 45, and uh, uh, we're going to... Uh, see what we uh, the Lord has for us here. Uh, let's just read this passage, and then we'll get into it uh, here in a little bit. Um, verse 35 of Mark chapter 1, it says, uh, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, and cast out devils. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean." And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him and forthwith went, uh, sent him away and saith unto him, See thou, say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for clen- thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in de- desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. Uh, I want to really zero in on that uh, aspect of the Lord's compassion. The Lord's compassion uh, at, we see there uh, in this uh, section of Scripture. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this time together this morning in the Word of God. We thank you for the Word. That's another one of those wonderful blessings we have beside our salvation through Jesus Christ. We have the written Word, and we thank you, Lord, for that this morning, and we pray, Lord, that we'll be uh, listening attentively to what you have for us to say, Lord. Not that I have anything to say, but we're going to look at what you say, and we pray, Lord, that we'll uh, treat this passage in a right way, and we pray, Lord, that you'll bless, and may the Spirit of God speak to our hearts uh, this morning, and give us the same passion that the Lord Jesus had, and we pray, Lord, that uh, our passion will be that which brings forth fruit and gives glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Bless our time together now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the first year of the Lord's ministry would be called the year of obscurity. The second year, uh, we could say, was uh, the year of popularity. Now, we've already looked at several things, the calling of his disciples in verses 16 through 20, uh, the preaching in the synagogue in verses 21 uh, through 22. Uh, we saw him casting out devils in verses 23 through 28, and then healing the sick in verses 29 through 34. And so Jesus has come on uh, to the scene in Israel here. He's been baptized by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit has rested upon him, and the Father has spoken. John the Baptist let the people know that the Messiah had come. And after being tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, Jesus began to call his disciples. He found Peter and Andrew and James and John and challenged them to follow him so he could make them fishers of men. Now, last week we saw Jesus demonstrate his power. We saw the power of the servant, and he was casting out devils and uh, demons and uh, healing Peter's mother-in-law. And after this display of power, the crowds start to follow him. And so today I want us to see if we're going to be Christ-like, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, and that's what the word means, Christ uh, followers, being Christ-like, there are three particular areas that we, I believe, need to apply in our Christian lives. And we'll look first to hear, uh, of all at verses uh, 35 through 39. And in particular, as we begin, verse 35, it says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. We see Jesus had a passion for prayer. He had a passion for prayer. I want you to notice here several things about his praying. It was in the morning. Uh, does that mean you can only pray in the morning? No. But he did pray in the morning, probably very early, the fourth watch of the night, uh, probably about three o'clock in the morning until six o'clock. You say, well, I'm dead to the world at that time. Uh, that may be. Uh, but this was when Jesus spent some time alone praying from about three o'clock until six o'clock in the morning. And it was, uh, we also see the phrase before day. Uh, probably at dawn, perhaps a bit dark yet. Uh, uh, some of us do get up before the sun comes up. Uh, uh, sometimes uh, my wife beats me up and sometimes I beat her up. Uh, you know what I mean, right? <laughs> Um, uh, this morning I beat her up. I got up before she did. She wasn't uh, very long afterwards, but we spend time uh, alone. Uh, she in her corner and me in mine, and we uh, uh, prepare for the day. And uh, uh, usually it's dark when I get up. Maybe you're that way too. Uh, you know, if, if you get up and the sun's already up, I always got to say, you know, you're burning daylight. You know, uh, you're wasting all this good daylight. Well, uh, anyway, uh, it was before day, it tells us right here. And then it says it's solitary. He was solitary. He was alone. Uh, we'll mention that a little bit more here. Uh, a time that means uh, it was desolate, uninhabited. So I noticed, first of all, there's a time of for prayer. Uh, Jesus seemed to have a need to pray. You say, well, why would Jesus need to pray? 
Well, he got up early to pray, to start the day, uh, to be used of God. To uh, He needed to start, and we need to start the day with God. And that's what prayer is. It's talking with God. Uh, that's what it's all about, simply talking with the Lord. Uh, so it's a time uh, to kind of put your worries and your burdens at God's feet. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Do you have any worries or cares? Uh, well, the Bible tells us what we need to do with those. And maybe it's the first thing in the morning. We need to get up and get uh, ready. Say, Lord, I don't know what today is going to bring, but I'm just going to commit this day to you. Uh, it's a time to do spiritual work. That's what prayer is. Uh, using some of the spiritual tools and spiritual weapons that God gives to us. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Ephesians 5 and verse 12 tells us, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And then, of course, later on in verse 18 of chapter 6 of Ephesians, it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance, and supplication for all the saints. <coughs> Doing the spiritual work is spending time with God in prayer. It's a time to put your worries and your uh, burdens at Jesus' feet. It's also a time to hear from God. Isaiah 50 and verse 4 says, The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth my ear to hear as the learned. We need to spend time as we pray uh, in God's word. You know, uh, it's not just uh, saying, Lord, here's my, uh, my grocery list, so to speak, of prayer request. But we need to pray God's word even back to him. And we need to know how we are to pray. If God's going to uh, answer our prayer, we need to pray according to his will. How are you going to know his will unless you're in his word? And so you, it's a time to hear from God's word. Uh, and uh, it's a time then to get away from distractions. Jesus here withdrew to pray. He got away from people and distractions. You remember Elijah uh, Elijah got himself in trouble. Jezebel was upset with him for killing her prophets of Baal. So he ran away. He hid himself in a cave where he experienced the fire, the wind, and the earthquakes. But God wasn't in any of those things. It tells us that God was speaking to him in a still, small voice. And God tends to do that, to speak to us in a still, small voice. Because if we get too much noise or distraction going on in our place where we're having our time in the Word or with, with God. It's not good to have devotions with the television on. 
Uh, it, it, you know, sometimes if you're uh, a mom or a dad and the kids are around, maybe uh, getting up before they do is the, the key to having a time without distractions. Because once they get up, it all breaks loose. Uh, I remember being... Uh, on our vacation down with our children uh, and grandchildren down there in Florida. Uh, when those boys got up, uh, the house was alive. You couldn't have a quiet time at all. Uh, but uh, uh, life of prayer starts when you learn to pray when you're alone. Some people only uh, pray or spend time with God when others are watching. But Matthew 6, 5 says, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, so that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So we don't use prayer to get attention from others. Jesus taught that a person of prayer is a person who knows how to pray when they're alone. In Matthew 6, 6, it says, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying in public. There's nothing wrong with praying with other people. I think it needs to be done, needs to be done more. But the Bible is filled with examples of, of, of this when it's done properly. There's great power when God's people come together to pray. And sometimes we fail to do that. We don't pray together. But if you never spend time praying alone, then your prayer life needs to take some steps of growth. So there's a time for prayer, but there was also a teaching about prayer. You know, Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Uh, we read in Matthew again, in, in, in chapter 6, going on there, said, After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Luke records another incident when Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer. And he records that Jesus was asked to teach the disciples how to pray. Lord, teach us how to pray. It says in Luke 11, 1, And it came to pass that when, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in, as in heaven, so in earth. Now, does that mean that's all we pray? It's really an outline on how that we're to pray and some of the subject matter which we're to pray about. And so Jesus taught them to pray, but he also taught them by example. He didn't just ask about prayer, he prayed. And he talked about prayer. You know, too often we get interested in prayer and we might even read books on prayer. Uh, I have a, a good number of books on prayer in my library. Uh, and we hear people talk about prayer. Uh, it's interesting that uh, once a year there's a, a national or a presidential prayer breakfast. I don't think too much praying actually takes place there. It's a lot of speech making, but not much praying. Um, if you're going to have a prayer breakfast, then make sure you do some praying. 
you know, it, it might be really kind of a, a neat thing to have a prayer breakfast like that and have all those people uh, come together. You know, I was at the president's prayer breakfast, but did you pray? Well, somebody might have read something called a prayer. Sometimes what is missing from our meetings is simply getting down to pray. Following the Lord, being his disciple, means learning a life of prayer. Jesus saw the needs of the ministry. He knew the way uh, to respond to the overwhelming needs was to pray more for laborers. Luke records what Jesus did after saying uh, uh, that there were a need for laborers. It says in Luke 6 and verse 12, it came to pass in those days he went up into a mountain to pray and he continued all night in prayer to God. And so we find that Jesus prayed about decisions. Do we pray about the decisions we have to make in life? Sometimes we say, well, I don't know what to do here. I'll go talk to so-and-so and see what they think. I'll talk to uh, mom or dad. I'll talk to uh, someone else about it. I'll talk to, uh, talk to my banker. I've got to make a decision, you know. Did you talk to God? The next morning, Jesus went out and chose his 12 disciples, his 12 apostles, after he had spent all night in prayer. He prayed about decisions. Now, some of you may be involved in some of our ministries here in our church. Some of you uh, know that sometimes you need help in your ministry. Jesus said the answer was to pray. Even at, after that tremendous time of ministry, after he fed 5,000 plus people, he sent the disciples off in a boat. Jesus went to pray. And I think that could be some of us here uh, this morning here that should be more involved in our ministry, but you haven't made it a matter of prayer. Matthew 14, 23 says, And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into the mountain apart to pray, and when evening was come, he was there alone. You know, it would appear that Jesus spent the night in prayer. Some of us have a hard time praying for 10 minutes. Now, perhaps he felt drained. He needed to draw closer to God for strength. Perhaps he sensed a need for God's continued work in the people that he ministered to. Perhaps he knew God wasn't finished with those people that he was ministering to. He was faced with some peculiar situations. Some of the disciples had been attempting to cast out a demon out of a boy, and they were unable to do so. And they wondered, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus said in Matthew 17, Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Some kinds of ministry just aren't going to happen unless we learn to be a praying people. I spent some time at the beach recently. You see, I didn't get too much sun. I protected myself. But I was out there with my grandchildren, my grandsons, and uh, sometimes, like children do, or like older people do, they, they're a little timid about putting their feet in the water, especially at this time of the year. And so they kind of just dabble in it, you know, just kind of stick their toes in it a little bit. The waves might even seem frightening. 
And yet God doesn't want us to spend time just dabbling our toes in the water's edge. And my grandsons didn't want to do that either. They wanted to get in. They wanted to get in whole hog. You know, they wanted to jump in and they wanted to uh, get in. They wanted to learn how to swim. That's what God wants us to do, to learn how to swim. He wants us to learn how to ride the waves. If we want to see God doing bigger things in our church, we need to be people who believe so much in God, answering prayer, that we're praying more and more, not just dabbling in it. question is, are we spending time in prayer? Not just for the sick. We have some folks that are struggling physically. I know that. And we do pray for them. But not just for them, but what God would have us to do in serving him here in our church or out in the mission field of our world. Jesus had a passion for praying. I wonder, do we have a passion for it? Think about that. Jesus also had a passion for preaching. In verses 36 through 39 here, it says he, uh, Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next town, towns that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. These verses show us that Jesus had a great desire, a great passion to see people saved from their sins, brought into a relationship with God, the Father, you know, some of the people that he ministered to, some came up to hear. Some came to be healed. Some came to be saved. And uh, uh, some, perhaps, came with no good motive at all. All sorts of followers in the train of Christ, but how few walk steadily and persevere to the end. Here in verse 37, uh, it says that... Uh, all men seek for thee, Peter told him. Now, he probably means that everyone in Capernaum was out looking for Jesus. After all, he had been to his house the day before and healed his mother-in-law. But Jesus said, let us go into the next towns, for there I came forth. Therefore I came forth. Came forth means to go, to come forth. It's the same word used back in verse 35 when it says he went out. Jesus says, I went out in the wilderness to pray because it's time for me to be moving on to other towns to preach. And so he preached in their synagogues throughout Galilee, it says in verse 39. Here's the lesson I want us to learn from this. We need to be stretched. Yes, those of us who are older, we need to stretch. Sometimes you get up in the morning and you stretch. Sometimes you do some physical uh, uh, exercise. It's good to stretch. It's not what we're talking about here. I'm not talking about stretching your, your body. I'm talking about stretching spiritually. And some of us aren't willing to be stretched. I kind of would... Uh, I don't say, I don't need to stretch. You know, I don't need to stretch when I, uh, I don't need to go to silver sneakers and uh, then teach me how to, how to stretch. I don't need that. I'm good. And sometimes spiritually, we see the same thing in churches. People come to church 
common sit, but they're not willing to stretch themselves into the opportunities that God has. The church could have a better impact on our community if some of us would learn to stretch ourselves. That's what we're talking about here, is to extend oneself, to expand one's opportunities. Some of you could have a, 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 an opportunity to, to stretch yourselves maybe and say, you know, uh, I could do something in the church. Maybe I, I have a music talent. Maybe I could do something there. Maybe I could be a better a witness out in the, in the community. I could do something there. Uh, maybe I should stretch myself and not just attend one service a week. Huh. Two services? That'd be stretching. Some of you'd really stretch if you came on Wednesday night. That'd really be stretching. You might pull a muscle. How about stretching ourselves in prayer? You say, I spend time in prayer at least five or ten minutes every morning. Well, maybe stretch it to 15 or 20. And then stretch it to 30 or 40. And think what God might do in answering your prayers. Jesus had experienced some wonderful times of ministry in a little town called Capernaum. And Capernaum would be kind of home base for him and his disciples. And he didn't spend all of his time there, though. Sometimes we get a bit comfortable in the various roles we have in life. Uh, Don't ask me to do anything extra here, Pastor. Uh, I'm comfortable just where I'm at. Maybe somebody needs to stretch themselves a little bit and say, you know, that prison ministry team needs some help. Oh, I don't know if I could stretch that far. By the way, the prison ministry team that we have is getting old. They need some young blood. But what if God were to stretch you a little bit? Here Jesus knew he had other towns to preach in besides Capernaum. Philip the evangelist was having great success in Samaria. Many people were coming to the Lord, but God told him to head south and he would find uh, a guy out there in the desert, the Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip might have said, no, I don't want to do that. I have, I've got such a thriving ministry where I'm at. I don't want to leave. But God needed someone to to teach or to tell him about the, the Ethiopian eunuch about Jesus. Philip had to stretch himself. How about Jonah? We're going to talk about Jonah again this afternoon. Again, some of you haven't been with us on Sunday afternoons because you haven't stretched yourself. I'm not trying to be mean or anything like that. I'm just trying to say it like it is. But God called him to preach to a hated people of Nineveh. When Jonah ran from God... God let Jonah get very, very uncomfortable, didn't he? We need to let God stretch us a little bit. Don't get too comfortable. Is there something God wants you to do and you're too comfortable to come and just sit, whether it be coming to church, doing something here, or whether it be your contacts with other people, Whatever it is, how could God use you in a greater way? Well, the first thing we need to do is pray about it. Be in prayer about it. God, you've given me this ability, you've given me this talent, you've given me opportunities. Would you stretch me? 
Would you help me to be stretched for you? And that brings us to Jesus had a passion for people. In verses 40 through 45, it's about the healing of a leper here. But it's not only for healing a leper. He was not just concerned about healing and preaching to heal people's hearts, but he was concerned about their physical needs. In verse 40, it says, There came a leper to him and said, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Now, a leper was uh, a person who had leprosy, which was uh, meant uh, that was scaly, uh, rough, uh, affected with leprosy. Leprosy in Jesus' day included a, vi- a variety of skin orders, including Hansen's disease, which today we call leprosy. Uh, it was all considered incurable at that time. It made a person an outcast. They were no longer able to associate with anyone else but lepers. And the person could be barred from participating in any kind of worship. But this leper came and said, Wilt thou? If thou wilt. The words, uh, those words, thou wilt. To will, to intend, to purpose, to desire, to wish. And actually there are two different words the leper could have used here. There's a word that speaks of being willing with mind. A mental choice, if you choose to. But there's another word that speaks of being willing with the emotions. And that's the word here. Do you have a passion to help someone in need? Do you have a heart, make a heart choice if you want to? It's a heart that the leper appeals to when he asks Jesus for help. In verse 41 it says, And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. He was moved with compassion. To be moved as one, to one's bowels, the moving with compassion. The bowels were thought to be the seat of love and, and, and pity. That's the meaning of the word here. And then there's the phrase, put forth. Means, again, to stretch out. Uh Uh-oh, there's that word, stretch again. Stretch forth. And the Lord touched him. It means to fasten oneself to, to hear to, to cling to. This word is used in John 20 and verse 17 when Jesus appeared to Mary after his resurrection. And she grabbed a hold of Jesus and said, touch me not. Stop clinging to me. He said that. Jesus doesn't just lightly brush his hand on the fellow here. He doesn't just lay his hand on the man. But he grabs hold of the man. He says, I will. To will, to have a mind, to intend. To be determined, to purpose, to desire, to wish. Now, if we want to be like Christ... We're going to have to have a will to do something. We're going to have to make a choice. The man asked if Jesus was willing. Jesus said he was willing. It would be against the law for Moses, uh, of the law of Moses for Jesus to touch an unclean leper. But the grammar here indicates that Jesus speaks the words, I will, as he's reaching out his hand to touch the man. Jesus doesn't touch the man to heal him necessarily, but to show him that he's already been healed by the Lord's words. Again, here's a lesson for us. Jesus cleanses the unlovely. 
You might be thinking you would be the last person that someone like Jesus would ever help. Maybe you hear that way this morning. You're exactly the kind of person Jesus wants to help. Now, leprosy is often seen in the Bible as a picture of sin. It's deadly. It works to numb us and then kill us. It's incurable. Yet there is someone who can cleanse the leper. There is someone who can cleanse the sinner. Is he willing? You bet he is. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You have to ask for his help. Verse 43 here, it says, And Jesus moved with, or verse 43, excuse me, And he straightly charged him, and forthwith sent him away. Jesus gave some pretty stern, strict orders. And he told him, See, see thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show, thy, show thyself to the priest. Why? As a testimony to them. You know, throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus telling various individuals not to talk to him, about him. And I'm not sure that Jesus' reason is the same in every instance. You know, last week we saw Jesus telling the demons not to talk about him. Uh, Jesus doesn't need free publicity about demons or those who haven't chosen to follow him. But he needs a witness from those who have been changed by him. And so it looks as if Jesus is telling this man not to tell anyone about his healing from leprosy. Jesus isn't saying that this man should never say anything to anyone else. Jesus' concern is simply that the priests have a witness to what God has done. Jesus seemed to consider the healing of lepers a part of demonstration of his being the Messiah. And when John the Baptist sent a message to Jesus because he apparently was having some doubts about Jesus, it says in Luke 7.22, Then Jesus answered and said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things ye have heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. Jesus wanted the priests to know that the Messiah had come. When he talk about, talks about here what Moses has commanded, as he says in the last part of verse 44, it's a pretty uh, uh, interesting uh, ritual in the book of Leviticus, if you ever take time to study it, is what to do on the day that a leper is actually healed. If you just uh, uh, kind of give a, a, a summary of it, the priest would take two birds. One bird was killed and its blood was mixed with cedar wood, a scarlet thread, and a hyssop. And then the live bird was dipped in the mixture and set free as a picture of the leper now being set free into the new life. And then the mixture was sprinkled on the cleansed leper. And then the leper was to be shaved and bathed. And a week uh, later, two lambs were sacrificed for him. Lamb's blood was then put on the leper's ear and thumb and big toe, signifying that his life had been cleansed. It's interesting that the only the people in Scripture who have, uh, uh, who have blood in their ear, thumb, and big toe are either the priest or cleansed lepers. And then the priest was to take the oil and put it on the man's ear, thumb, and big toe, signifying that he had been anointed to serve the Lord. And that was not a common occurrence. There are really only records of two lepers healed in the Old Testament, Miriam and Naaman. So this was a big deal. But do you think you cannot be used of God? 
God will cleanse and use you if you're willing. Here's the lesson. Listen to Jesus' directions. There are people that God is concerned about that we tell them about Jesus. Perhaps the man thought, well, what's the big deal? Don't the priest already know about God? But the priest needed to hear what Jesus had done. Perhaps Jesus felt it was important that this man experience go through the ceremony to become socially and religiously clean. Perhaps Jesus wanted the man to obey the law. Perhaps Jesus wanted the priest to see a bit of connection between themselves and the cleansed leper. Perhaps Jesus wanted the priest to see that he had not come to do away with the law, but actually fulfilled the law. So we need to pay attention to God's promptings. God doesn't always have to tell you why. We just need to do what he says. I wonder maybe that God would be speaking to some heart today. The things we've been talking about, about the example that Jesus has given to us. It says in verse 45, but he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter. And the word publish means to be a herald, to officiate as a herald, to preach. To blaze abroad means to spread it abroad, to, to spread abroad his fame or his renown. And so after this man began telling people every, uh, everywhere he went about Jesus, there was a period of time when Jesus couldn't even enter the city because he would be mobbed by the crowds. And he would eventually be able to go back to the cities. But there was a temporary problem that pops up when Jesus becomes so popular. Now, I don't think it was a bad thing that the man went out and told others about Jesus. I don't think the man is really disobeying Jesus and telling about what Jesus did for him, but he's not doing all that Jesus had asked him to. Jesus asked him to send a message to the priest, which the man did not do. And that's, again, part of the lesson for us. We need to pay attention to God's promptings, and we need to do what God has given to us, all of it. Luke records what Jesus did in response to the crowds growing in size. It says there in Luke 5, 17 or 16, and he withdrew himself into a wilderness and prayed. You see, Jesus was consumed with a passion to do the will of his Father. And if we're going to be Christ-like, we're going to have to have a passion to do the will of our Father. He had a passion to pray. Prayer was a priority for the Lord. Prayer was doing the will of God. Prayer was all about the potential that God could do great things through him. It ought to be a priority for you and me as well. It ought to be about doing God's will. It ought to be about the potential of what God can do through and with us. And then the Lord had a passion to preach the good news of the gospel, and proclaim the love of God for each and every person he came in contact with. He teaches us that we ought to have a passion to proclaim the gospel to people as well. He was consumed with a passion to deliver people from the things that bound them. And God uses people to do his work on earth today. I wonder, do you have a passion for prayer? for preaching for people. 
If not, why not ask God to give you that passion today? Let's pray. Father in heaven.